Coming up on Philosophy Talk, the right to privacy. Being left alone, keeping the details of your private life to yourself. Are those really rights? If everybody puts everything online, then who has a right to privacy anyway? Is privacy just a privilege that can be revoked at any time if it conflicts with other more important needs? Who has the right to infringe on our privacy? Bill of Rights, Article 4. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. If you haven't done anything wrong, why worry about your right to privacy? Our guest is Jeffrey Rosen, author of The Naked Crowd, Reclaiming Security and Freedom in an Anxious Age. The Right to Privacy, coming up on Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. We're continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. That's where Ken and I both teach philosophy. And today we're talking about the right to privacy. This is one of those times, Ken, when we probably ought to start by disentangling different uses or senses of the concept. We use private and privacy in different ways. Both words derive from privus, that's the Latin word, and it means single or individual. Being private is usually opposed to being public, having to do with ownership or who can attend. Privacy, though, means something a little different. It means kind of being withdrawn in one way or another from the public or protected from it. You know, there's another use that we have in philosophy. We apply the term private to our mental life. That means that has to do with the fact that only I know directly, anyway, what I'm thinking and feeling. Other people may know what I'm thinking and feeling by being told it or observing me and guessing, but I know it directly. I have these private mental states that only I'm aware of. And a great thing about your thoughts is it doesn't... You don't have to do anything special to keep your thoughts private. Just keep your mouth shut, and they'll be quite private. That's not the case with other things. Uh, I have to put curtains in my bedroom if I want to keep what goes on there private. If my neighbors are nosy, I might have to build a fence to keep them out. Yeah, that's because it has to do with the fact that you consider your home your private sphere, a space where you can do what you want without anybody watching or interfering, without uh, the fear of being molested by others, as John Stuart Mill put it. That, that, that's a kind of privacy that we care a lot about. You can even ask whether we have a right to privacy in that sense. There's a, another aspect of this, I mean, or extension of it. I mean, we, we want to just not just protection from peering eyes looking at our naked bodies or what we're doing, but we want to be able to control and limit the access people have to all kinds of information about us that we think of as personal. If I keep a diary, I lock it. I password protect my financial funds. Not only do we want to keep that information private, if we do grant people access to that, we want some kind of control over what they do with it, over how it's used. So we, we want privacy both in the sense of having some control about what others know about it and also in the sense of being left alone to make our own decisions. Now, I'm kind of wondering, 
what do these different senses of privacy have in common? Do they have a root source? I, I, I think maybe they do, John. I think they have their source in what it is like to be a human being. Look, human beings come with different properties that make them different from one another. We each have our own beliefs, desires, and values. And we come with the power to decide on the basis of these what to do with our lives. We want to control our bodies on the basis of our own decisions. I think both concepts kind of recognize this basic aspect of what it is to be a human being. So, so do you think that simply by being human we have a right to privacy? I mean, what would the source of that right be? One might think it would be derived from something more fundamental, like the right of self-protection, uh, to right to protect ourselves from harm. But do you think it's just simply based on human individuality and autonomy? Uh, I don't know, John. Those are good questions, <laughs> and they raise other important questions as well. For example, if I do have a right to, to privacy, does that mean that others have a corresponding duty not to spy on me, not to nose about in my personal affairs? Well, I think that's going to depend on your personal affairs, Ken. I mean, if you're building a bomb in your garage and, and thus you present uh, uh, a risk of harm to other people— uh, then the government has a right to come into your garage and, and find out what you're doing and stop it. Well, so you're saying that if there is a right to privacy, it's certainly not an absolute right because there are conditions under which it seems perfectly all right to violate someone's so-called privacy. Yeah, although uh, we have to be kind of careful here, especially in this day and age, because it's pretty easy to violate someone's right to privacy in a world with phone taps, GPS tracking, cameras everywhere. Uh, your privacy is very invadable these yeah, days. Yeah, that's certainly true. And our expectations of privacy are also, I think, diminishing because of all those things you talk about, which also leads to the erosion of any claimed right to privacy. Yeah, and I, I don't want to sound grumpy, but you and all the younger generations uh, are really screwing things up by your, your exhibitionism. I mean, look at how you guys use the social media to tell us what you had for lunch. You twits tweet about uh, where you're going and, and everything you do. And, and, and some people, I don't think you, uh, post pictures of themselves after a night of debauchery. Uh, our claims to privacy are pretty hard in a world where nobody cares about it anymore. Well, John, I hate to say you do sound grumpy, but you know what? There's a lot to untangle here. And to get us help us get started, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Ash, to find someone who cared so much about her privacy, she tried to become anonymous. Caitlin files this report. Do you ever wonder what kind of information is out there about you on the internet? I'm somewhat concerned, but not all that concerned. When you're talking about, you know, like vendors, uh, I like actively give information sometimes about myself just to make my own ad experience better. I'm a little concerned about all the information that I've given to Facebook and whether they own it or what they can do with it. I do worry about privacy when it comes to a discrimination, for instance, like will a life insurance company or a health insurance company find out information about me online and like change my rates based on that. If you're not curious about the information that's out there about you, maybe you should be. So I found this like crazy list where you could get the addresses and names of it was 11,418 people, mostly men over age 55, who bought a particular herbal sexual potency product in September or October of that particular year. Catherine Price is a writer in Philadelphia. A few years ago, she tried to disappear for a week to report a story called The Anonymity Experiment for the magazine Popular Science. 
It wasn't easy, and it led to some pretty interesting discoveries. You can actually do a search online and find out what type of information is possible to buy. Like if you were a marketer for a product and you wanted to be very targeted in who you're selling to. So how do you become anonymous? Step one, get rid of your cell phone. Replace it with a prepaid disposable one. Kind of like a burner in the wire, if you've ever seen that show uh, that the drug dealers use, that was what I was supposed to be using. And then using a calling card on top of that so that if anyone were to steal my prepaid cell phone, they wouldn't have any access to outgoing numbers other than the calling card number. Step two, mask your internet presence. Sign up for a service that blocks your internet provider from accessing information about your online activity. Then there's the issue of your email account. It's like I was receiving email in one account and then I was sending email from a different encrypted account so that it would be difficult to kind of link those two accounts together or tell what I was, I was writing. And then there are surveillance cameras. Avoid airports, government buildings, and public transportation. Be careful when driving. Do not cross toll booths. Services like Fast Track or Easy Pass keep a record of everywhere you've been. That actually is how they do those estimated times between places. You know, when it's like 15 minutes to Berkeley, they do that by picking up a signal from your toll paying thing. And of course, don't use credit or debit cards. Cash only. The most difficult day of Price's experiment in becoming anonymous came when she was attending, no joke, a privacy conference. She had to figure out how to get from Oakland to San Francisco without driving. So I ended up using casual carpool, but I also decided that since there were so many cameras like en route to San Francisco that I probably should be really extreme and not just wear my hat and my sunglasses as I'd been doing before, but to wear this face visor. But it, it makes you look either like a welder or a beekeeper. And it's not like really the kind of outfit that would invite you into people's cars. Then there was the matter of renting a room. The first hotel Price went to wouldn't rent without ID. It was just like a mess and I ended up having to go across the street and stay at this hotel where they let me just flash my passport at them without taking it from me and then I misspelled my name deliberately. <laughs> so that was the best I could do, but that was definitely the most challenging day of the experiment. Before writing the story, Price said she never felt like she had anything to hide, so she didn't think twice about the information that was being collected about her. Price assumed that her internet and bank activities were being recorded, but who would be interested in that? You know, every time you use a, a supermarket loyalty card, it's keeping a record of all of your purchases. Or, for example, if you move, the moving company will sell your new address information. If you ever wonder why you start getting junk mail so quickly and how they possibly find you, it's because your information is sold. Pizza delivery places sell information. Stuff like that that really I, I just never would have even considered. And once I started thinking about that, I realized that I actually do care more about privacy than I thought I did before I started researching the article. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Ash. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.